Eagles Entertainment. The journey to the draft is driven by AAA. AAA, roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got a fun show for you here today. The probable number one pick in the draft through for teams on Friday. We'll get into that a little bit, but we've got so much more to hit on in a jam-packed episode. Number one, we've got Draft Buzz, Ben Fennel, Dane Brugler, and I. We'll talk about Trevor Lawrence and his pro day on Friday, but we'll also get into some guys we've studied lately and then preview the top tight ends in the country for this year's NFL draft. After that, we will transition to a segment that's quickly become one of my favorites in On the Clock, where Ben, Dane, and I, we're going to play general manager for three different teams, but we're taking even another twist to this segment. You do not want to miss it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hope you guys will really enjoy that one. And then you're going to really enjoy this conversation as well in the blueprint where this week I catch up with Matt Williamson, who knows this Pittsburgh Steelers organization inside and out. A lot of people point to the Steelers as one of the the best drafting teams in the NFL. So what are their secrets? Matt and I are going to chop it up, and he gives us some awesome insight into their thought process and some of their trends during the NFL draft. And then we will wrap things up with Draft Mailbag. We've got a question that I know is on the minds of a lot of fans, a lot of Eagles fans in particular, and we'll hit on that at the end of today's show. Only one question left in the queue, by the way. So if you go to Apple Podcasts, the door is wide open for you. If you jump on there, leave us a rating, leave us a comment, and in that comment, you might have a mock draft. You might have a question about how players stack up against each other, maybe rankings of certain positions. You might have a mock draft for us to recap. Whatever it is, you can go on and leave it in that section, and we will get to it here on the very next show. All you got to do is just jump on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen, and go and leave us that uh, wherever podcasts can be found. I really appreciate everybody that has gone and done that already. Before, Real quickly, before we get to draft buzz, uh, for our NFL draft fans out there that maybe are not Eagles fans, I implore you to go and check out the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Even if you just do it for this week, go check out this week's episode. I caught up with former NFL scout Dan Hatman to talk about the pre-draft process here this spring and how unique it is compared to all the years past because we've now got a full calendar year of the impact of COVID-19 on college football and on the NFL draft on all 32 teams. So regardless of who you root for, your team is going to be facing a lot of these issues. And while we talk about it here on this podcast, here and there, we go really, really deep into this conversation. It's about a half hour long. You can go find that wherever podcasts can be found. Again, the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. And again, if you're not an Eagles fan, Look, you subscribe for one week, you can go check it out. And again, we're doing weekly breakdowns. It's not You don't need to just be an Eagles fan just to go and listen to that podcast. There are plenty of uh, non-Eagles fans that uh, will always hit, hit us up and let us know how much they enjoy the show. That being said, let's get this one going now. Well, let's talk some NFL Draft here. It's time for Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, well, let's get to the most newsworthy items here uh, at the very top of this segment as I welcome in Dane Brugler, Ben Fennell. Guys, uh, the first big item uh, on Friday, uh, the presumed number one pick in the NFL draft, Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback from Clemson, threw for NFL teams. He had his own private pro day. They did make sure to call it a pro day, so that way teams could be in attendance. Uh, A bunch of teams there. Is there anything, Dane, I guess we'll come to you first, anything to take away, anything to talk about, anything uh, coming out of that event on Friday? Uh, you know, I think the only surprising thing maybe was that he came in at 213 pounds, uh, which was much lighter than what we expected for a guy that's almost six, six. Um, but, you know, going through his passing script, it was, yeah, there were a few misses here and there, but for the most part, it just felt like 
Steph Curry out there shooting threes from half court, just showing off the crazy talent, you know, just this is effortless. I I do this in my sleep. Uh, you know, I give him credit for going out there and competing when he yep. didn't have to, he's the number one pick, uh, could have had the surgery and packed it in and called it a day, but you know, he went out there and competed and, uh, you know, he just packed up what we, what we already thought going in. Ben, I think I watched an interview on Friday. I believe it was Jane Slater, uh, with the NFL network had caught up with urban Meyer, uh, and, Urban Meyer talked with, who's now the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, presumed to take Trevor Lawrence, number one, uh, talked about how, yeah, like I spoke with Trevor last week. We were doing you know, one of these Zoom calls and he had mentioned the injury and said, I, I'm not going to really, be, I'll be on the shelf for a few months. And he said, well, rather than wait till late March to have this pro day, and then you're kicking into August and you're cutting it close for the season, you know, why don't you just go out and throw? And so, the, you know, basically that set into motion uh, what became a, a pro day in a handful of days. Uh, still, as Dane mentioned, impressive that uh, Trevor said, you know, I do want to throw. I don't want to just, uh, you know, throw this opportunity out uh, to, you know, show off my wares in front of NFL teams. Yeah, and certainly want to get the measurements, the official and out there to teams. And a lot of it's, you know, just talking to them and, you yeah. know, maybe uh, starting to develop the relationships. But Trevor Lawrence has been a three-year starter at Clemson. Yeah. We've seen him play enough football. There's enough tape. There's enough him throwing the ball. If you weren't there live behind him watching the ball come out of his hands, the pro day was useless just watching it on TV or even the tape to it. There's nothing that he did in that pro day in shorts and a T-shirt that's going to outweigh his three years of starting for the Clemson Tigers. I believe there was one person that was standing behind him during the pro day. And that was the guy I alluded to earlier. And that was uh, urban Meyer. He was down on the field uh, with Dabo Swinney, everybody else from an NFL standpoint, uh, off in the stands or on the sideline, uh, urban Meyer, the only one standing directly behind. And you uh, know what it's like for to, to feel the ball coming out of the quarterback's hands live. And it's just different. You can't get that feel off the tape or off the TV. So really just seeing it, how it jumps off his hand, the velocity, how it gets from A to B. That's some stuff you really can't take away from the tape. Dane, I thought I told you this was like the, the maybe the number one thing, if not the, the set, you know, number two or number three thing that I missed most of going to the senior right. bowl practices was seeing those quarterbacks throw live. And so uh, for teams that didn't get that chance to be able to see Trevor Lawrence this year, uh, this was their chance to be able to see it. Right. And there's just, there's just something different about seeing it in person. Uh, the way the ball comes off the hand, uh, you know, the zip, uh, you know, and seeing it next to other quarterbacks, it just, it helps for comparison purposes. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's something where if you have a chance to see him throw, I was surprised there were so many teams there, Yeah, uh, right. but you know, if you have a chance to go see him throw, you know, why not take it? You have a chance to catch up with some other scouts on the road. Uh, you know, Cornell Powell is catching passes. Uh, you know, it's, it's an opportunity where if you pick up one thing, it, it's a productive trip. Honestly, and don't forget, 31 teams have to play against this kid, too. So right. just acquiring information is all part of the process as well. Yeah, and then also, too, as Damon, I mean, it's a chance for you to at least get on campus. You might run into a source or two that you didn't have a chance to talk with over the course of the uh, of the pre-draft process leading up to this point. And so now you get a chance to you know see one of your buddies that you don't normally get to see and maybe get a little bit of information. So, uh, yeah, a lot to pull there um, from that aspect of things. Let's get to uh, some players that you the, the three of us have studied over the last week. Uh, ben, I'll come to you first. Our film room recap, a player that we've studied over the last few days that we just kind of want to bring to the table here and, uh, and share with everybody. Well, I feel like as we're dipping into the early parts of draft season, the defensive backs that steal the show or the big press man quarterbacks, uh, corners that, you know, can erase X receivers and have the ball skills and the speed. We don't talk about the zone players enough. And there's a place for them in the NFL. We see a lot of quarters around the NFL. We've obviously seen a lot of that 
cover three stuff with the aside saddle bailing type of zone corners uh, we've seen around the league. But Asante Samuel Jr. at Florida State is as good a zone corner as there is in this class. And he has a lot of traits that kind of mimic the way Jair Alexander played at Louisville. Sometimes we get out muscled at the catch point. He's a little smaller, 5'10, 185. But when he just has room to click and close, attack the ball, attack the catch point, mirror receivers routes, and step up and run support. And whenever he's a force flare in the flat, he is a feisty player, tons of production, four interceptions, 23 PBUs, has played special teams every year. I love him in off coverage. When his eyes are on the quarterback, he can click and close. He has a little bit of the size speed issues in man coverage. It's not going to be a fit for every scheme. Yep. But I feel like this time of the year, the conversation gets just gets dominated by press man corners. But there's some other scheme corners too that there's a place for in the right schemes. Dane, so I think it, that he's a guy that I feel like, uh, sorry to cut you off, Dane, I feel like he's one of those guys that, uh, as Ben alluded to, he's not going to be a fit for everybody, but there are going to be some teams that if that's the way you play defense, he might be valued, you know, when we get into the top 30, top 45, you know, selections here. And there are going to be other teams that just don't have him that high. Uh, is that kind of the sense you get from talking? Well, to people really, really quick, Dane and Fran, you know, if you guys remember two years ago, Byron Murphy coming out of Washington, yeah. first, first pick in the second round, similar type of profile, undersized, had some issues in press man, but we all loved him in off coverage, all loved him in zone. Could be a similar ballpark for an Asante Samuel. What do you think, Dane? No, uh, Ben, I want to get your thoughts. Just if I'm a team that runs both man and zone, I mean, how are you selling, uh, you know, uh, Asante Samuel to me as the GM? I mean, are you saying like he can do man good enough where he's worth taking that pick? Or do you think he's so skewed towards zone that he might be a liability in man? Yeah, I think he's going to have some man liability. I want him in a zone heavy scheme, whether it was the way the Packers played the past couple of years under Mike Pettin, whether it's maybe the Buffalo Bills and Sean McDermott and a lot of their kind of too high stuff, maybe Indianapolis, how they play a lot of zone. He's not going to be for everybody. He may be mm-hmm. a guy that plays some zone on the outside and first and second down and then goes and plays free safety in some sub packages. He could be that style of player, maybe a lot like the way um, – uh, who is the kid Webb from uh, the Ravens? Webb? Yeah, from the Ravens a couple of years ago. Similar type of player there. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's got the production and he's got the click and close and he's got the ball skill. He's going to contribute on special teams. He's going to be an NFL player. Now, where in the draft capital is a team going to pull the trigger between all three of us? I have no idea at this point. Yeah. <laughs> and he can play inside and outside, too. Right, yep. So he, yeah. he brings you some some versatility there. The Byron Murphy uh, comparison, I think that makes makes a lot of sense from that aspect of it. I really like Asante Samuel Jr. Uh, on film. Dane, uh, who's your guy here? So a, a guy that's been buzzing uh, recently, Kelvin Joseph uh, out of Kentucky, um, went back and kind of did more of a deep dive on him. I mean, the the character stuff is what's going to ultimately determine where he's drafted. Um, you know, he spent one year at LSU. Uh, he, you know, the coach is basically – he told him to opt out because he had one foot out the door, uh, you know, towards the end of this season. Uh, I mean, there, there's plenty of, you know, immature tendencies here, but just talking about talent and on the field, I mean, this guy is, uh, he just, his cup is overflowing with talent. It's just crazy with the, the twitchy feet, the fluid movements. Uh, he's got high end ball skills. Uh, I mean, he, he rarely loses balance. Uh, I mean, he, he'll give up some plays, 
but he's usually, you know, right there. It's just, you know, he wasn't able to make a play on the ball. So athleticism wise, he's very, very sticky. Uh, and, you know, it's going to be interesting to see where he ultimately lands up because he's the first round talent. It's just, you know, where is the team going to feel comfortable rolling the dice on a player like this? It's, it's, it's going to be a really interesting evaluation. You know, he's such an interesting player because he has such a unique skill set and the traits are there. You see the height, the length, the ball skills. I'm not sure if you had mentioned he was an LSU transfer, a former yeah. four-star mm-hmm. that everybody wanted. The thing that got him on the radar this year, he defended Devontae Smith twice down the field, had a PBU and an interception, and looked more than comfortable playing the ball down the field. I liked him a little bit more in that side saddle stuff with his eyes in the backfield, and then he could jump routes, and that's how he got his hands on a lot of footballs but struggles with some bigger receivers, struggled down in the red zone, gave up a nice touchdown to Seth Williams, gave up a slant post touchdown to Kyle Pitts, two really good players, obviously. But just wish Kelvin Joseph had a little bit deeper body of work. So only nine starts, you know, sample size isn't there. So I'm going to go away from the cornerback position and I'm going to go to the defensive tackle spot where uh, just recently, uh, meaning this morning, uh, I had a couple hours and I said, I'm going to watch somebody completely new. I want to watch a guy that I knew nothing about, uh, you know, that I hadn't done any film work on at all. And so I settled in on Louisiana Tech defensive tackle Milton Williams, who was a redshirt junior who declared for this past draft and uh, or for this coming draft. And I think when you look at Milton Williams, you look at the total, you know, the, the, from the uh, just you know, the physical package, he's six foot four. Under 280, that's how what he played at this past year. Converted defensive end who slid inside to defensive tackle for them this past season. Now, when you watch him on film, he was very, very disruptive. He ended up, you know, this season, uh, I think 10 TFLs, four and a half sacks. Um, but even just watching the film, you see a guy who's constantly making plays on the opposite side of the line of scrimmage. He's rangy. He's got good change of direction, a quick first step. He can get the edge on guards. He can get the edge on tackles. He slides up and down the line of scrimmage. You'll see him in the A gap. You'll see him in the B gap against guards. You'll see him work over the edge uh, against tackles as well. They'll stand him up. They move him around. He's got a very versatile skill set, but it's not just his feet that he wins with guys because he also has extremely heavy hands to jar opposing offensive linemen on contact, change the line of scrimmage and control blocks. He's not just a, Oh, let me just shoot gaps and get into the backfield. They do a lot of read and react stuff. You're going to see him two gap. You're going to see him jack an offensive lineman up, kind of play peekaboo and get off the block and flow to the football. He did a great job on the backside of plays of chasing things down. He was a high motor kid, made a lot of plays in pursuit. Now that was at a package that was six, four under 280 pounds. From what I understand right now, he's up over 290, and he's going. He's that athleticism that I saw on film is going to carry over. And I think when you look at the way that this kid tests, uh, and again, you know, 24 hours ago, 12 hours ago, I didn't know much about this kid other than he was on the underclassmen list. So getting a chance to watch him this week, I was really, really impressed. And I got news for for you guys. To me, he's one of the most intriguing defensive linemen in this class from an interior standpoint. I'm putting him in that same bucket. Me personally as Levi Onzerike, as Jalen Twyman, Jay Tufele, that group, I think Milton Williams belongs in that discussion. This is a guy that's got the ability to be a disruptor. He really reminded me of Malik Jackson because of that versatility, the heavy hands, and the first step quickness, and the ability to have a go-to move, but then also have some compliments off it. I was really, really impressed with Milton Williams, guys. Um, uh, He he needed to get a little bit stronger, and he has done that over the course of the last couple of months. I'm really, really intrigued by this kid. Wow. All right. When when did you become his agent? I missed that. <laughs> well, it, look, if he, if he is, then my check got lost in the mail. So you know, <laughs> you know, I'm still waiting on that one. He's, no, a, he's a really impressive player. That, I, I, I'm looking forward to diving in. I have not done a ton of work on him. So it's 
you, you kind of set the bar high. So uh, I'm eager to dive in and see uh, see what my eyes tell me. I buzzed through him really quick this morning. He's an interesting player. He's definitely that tweener hybrid type lined up up and down the D line. He could have lost some weight and had a positional fit. He could gain right. some weight and have a positional fit. Reminds me a little bit of the way Charles Amenahu played at Texas. Okay. Where you didn't know if you wanted him to lose 10 and be an edge or add a couple and be a three tech, one tech, a guy that can get it done in the trenches. But a guy definitely you could see the first step, the effort, the explosiveness, great at the point of attack, all things that Amenahu has brought to the Texans. I think similar stuff here with Milton Williams. That's a great call for him. Just checking boxes right there. Even what you just said, I mean, <laughs> all right, good at the point of attack. He's great in pursuit. He can win as a pass rusher. Like a lot of things uh, working in favor of Milton Williams. Like, and if you're thinking La Tech, uh, you want to see him against some NFL competition. He's got tape against Miami last year, BYU this year. TCU this year. There's plenty of power five opponents. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, he'll, he'll get rocked by double teams every once in a while. But again, he was doing that at in the 270 range. You know, imagine him now at the 290 range uh, being able to hold up a little bit better. Uh, I'm really interested to see how he tests ultimately here uh, when they have their pro day. Guys, uh, the big aim for this week, I wanted to kind of do a position preview on the tight end position. So I got a, a handful of questions for you. And you can't talk tight end without talking about Kyle Pitts. And so I almost want to just dedicate one whole question just to Kyle Pitts, a player that all three of us have studied. We all acknowledge that he's one of the blue chip players in this class. And so I wanted to ask you guys, which team, what kind of system would you be most interested to see Kyle Pitts in? Uh, I'm not going to mention the Eagles here just to, you know, throw out any idea of all, you know, you're, you're, you know, you want him to be an Eagle or anything like that. Anybody else? Is there another team where you're looking at and you're saying, man, like Kyle Pitts in this kind of offense would be really, really intriguing. Uh, for me, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the Bengals, uh, just because with the way that Joe Burrow loves to use the middle of the field and get tight ends involved, I I just think he'd be such a great fit. I, he's uh, Joe Burrow is so accurate when he's throwing to spots. Imagine throwing to spots to Kyle Pitts where he could just uh, go up and get the football and make things happen. Uh, you know, it's I think it's possible with the Bengals owning that number five pick overall. I know most fans want to see you know, offensive line or even Jamar chase there, but there's a strong argument to be made that pits and, and in that offense with burrow, uh, it could be special. I like that idea because if you put, you know, if you've got uh, T Higgins working outside, you've got Tyler Boyd inside, you've got uh, you're throwing a Kyle Pitts who's got the ability to win outside and inside. Right. Uh, that's that gives uh, burrow certainly a really interesting target. One team that, you know, I'm just thinking of like, who are the coaches that I feel like could get the most out of Kyle Pitts. And, and certainly Kyle Shanahan is just known as, you know, one of the top offensive innovators in the league. And so uh, with them picking at number 12, I almost look at that as Kyle Pitts floor and say, man, if he fell to them, Kyle Juszczyk is a free agent, I believe coming into this year. Uh, you know, you look at who are some of the matchup weapons that they have in that offense. Obviously you have George Kittle there, but when you look at Kyle Pitts and his ability to line up out wide, and then also do some things in the backfield, do some things from the slot, that would be a lot of fun, uh, for sure. Is just how they would try and attack defenses on a weekly basis, regardless of who the quarterback is in San Francisco. Uh, you say Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, you've got uh, Debo Samuel. They've got the you know the plethora of running backs. Uh, that would be really really interesting to see Kyle Pitts uh, with the 49ers. Well, I think there's a little bit of a blueprint out there already. And one of my favorite coaches in finding matchups, exploiting matchups, is Frank Wright. And whether that was with the San Diego Chargers and Antonio Gates, whether it was winning the Super Bowl here at the Eagles and using Trey Burton and Zach Ertz. You remember that Y-ISO slant that Zach Ertz caught 
you know, to win the Super Bowl there, Fran. You sure. could just see Kyle Pitts running slants for somebody out there in an isolation situation. You can see how he obviously uses Mo Ali Cox and some of those matchup guys now that he's with the Indianapolis Colts. Kind of fits the profile of these larger receivers uh, on that roster already, like Michael Pittman and Zach Pascal. We'll still call him a tight end for now, but kind of fits the profile. And I would just like to see Frank Wright to, uh, you know, find ways to uh, exploit matchups. The thing is, is I think when making that comparison, looking at, uh, you know, Kyle Pitts, there were people I posted a thread of, you know, a few highlights from him on Friday on Twitter. And people were like, oh, you know, what happened to Evan Ingram? Evan Ingram was supposed to be this guy. Or, you know, you point point to all these other undersized tight ends. Kyle Pitts is di- is different. He's in a he different is. class than the rest of these guys. I mean, his ability to win one on one at all three levels and not just, oh, man, look at him run away. I mean, he is a technician getting off the line. He is a technician winning at the top of the route. He can win. He won on damn near every slant that I saw him run outside the numbers against SEC corners. Not only does he, you know, can he do that, but he's also running away from linebackers. He can, you know, out quick safeties at the top of routes. You see him win at all three levels. Like I said, uh, he's a special player. There's no getting around it. And some of those highlights were against what, like JC Horn, Tyson Campbell, some of the, you know, the best corners in this class. They weren't even against, you know, bigger, slower safeties. They were against true cover corners. Yeah. Well, I mentioned Kelvin Joseph uh, earlier. I watching that tape, Florida and, uh, and Kentucky. I I mean, the way Kyle Pitts could just run away, create his own space from a a top tier athlete like Kelvin Joseph. I mean, he, he, it just, he's, He's different. And yeah, I, I think, you know, we hear that a lot about, you know, when's the last time a tight end was drafted top 10 and, you know, panned out, lived up to the expectations. It just, it, it's, it's hard because Kyle Pitts is so different than the, the guys that have come before him. He's just, he's, he's a unicorn. Uh, and that's, that's, that's how the coaches describe him. And I don't know a better way to, to really sum him up. All right, so let's get to our next question here. And, and the rest of these, I'm going to say like, all right, let's name a player outside of Kyle Pitts. Uh, and for this first one, who's the best route runner at the tight end position in this class outside of Kyle Pitts? And the way that I look at this, uh, I could have gone a number of different directions. I ended up settling in on Miami's Brevin Jordan, a really, really fun player to study, a guy I did late last week as well. Um, it, really athletic, really, really smooth. He's explosive. He can run away from people. But I was impressed with his ability to just put his foot in the ground and break opposite. And I, I, I said this with Pitts, but you can say the same thing about Jordan. His ability to win at all three levels with different route stems and being able to, hey, I can win on a slant outside the numbers. I can win on a deep dig route uh, against a safety. I can win on a fade ball or I can win on a deep post. You saw him do all those different things and show that ability to separate, not just with foot quickness and uh, you know fluid hips, but then also with some nuance and you know with some technique, selling his eyes and shoulders one way and then breaking the other way. I think that he shows that ability to create his own separation. So uh, while some other guys might have you know some of the subtleties down a little bit better, I think when you pair what he does from a technique standpoint along with his short area quicks to me that really stood out so I, I went with Brevin Jordan a player uh, that I really like and I know you do too as well Ben yeah he's a really interesting tight end I don't think he's getting nearly enough attention to, uh, you know obviously taking a backseat to Kyle Pitts but I'm gonna go with Penn State tight end Pat Fryermuth who I think is a much better pass catching and pass receiving threat than his reputation may allude to. I think you thought we're getting this big 260-pound inline blocking tight end that might be able to pluck a ball or two off a play action. This guy is a legit receiving threat. They would line him up in a lot of those, like we just talked about, those Y-ISO situations where he's on the backside of trips, obviously detached from the formation. He knows how to get himself open. He has good snap on routes, good in and out of breaks, knows how to sink his hips. And he has this mix of knowing when to be urgent and when to be patient in his routes. 
And that tells me the game is slowed down for him. He knows how to set up opponents, attack leverage, and understand the timing of the route and when to get open for the quarterback. And obviously uses that 255, 260-pound frame very well. Knows how to get between the ball and the defender. Plucks away from his frame. Soft hands. Really easy catcher. I was impressed. I thought we were going to get a little bit more of a in-line kind of ho-hum slug in there. But no, this guy has some snap in his routes. And for uh, anyone that loves a, you know, a Pete Warner and his coverage, go put on the 2019 tape. It was him and Pete Warner outside of the numbers and Fryermuth, you know, won most of those matchups. So uh, he's a guy that definitely knows how to get himself open. Yeah. For me, I, I, those would have been my first two picks. Um, So uh, with, with Fryermuth off the table, Jordan off the table, I guess I'm going to go Hunter Long here now. Uh, yep, it's going. You know, he's coordinated, uh, you know, with his body, the way he moves uh, within the route. Uh, he, you know, he can break off those sharp, sharp angled routes, make 90 degree cuts. Um, you know, he, he I think he runs rest with proper depth. He understands situational awareness. Uh, he charts a physical path, so he's not going to allow defenders to alter his route. He's very focused and uh, reliable with a defender on his hip. And so, uh, you know, he's just a very steady Eddie route runner, uh, which kind of sums up his game overall. All right, let's get to uh, the next category here. And I, I honestly, with that, with that last one, you could have gone, I could have gone in any order and said like, oh yeah, this makes sense. as who the best route runner was. It's a, it was really tight in that area in my mind. Uh, this one would be an interesting one. Best pass catcher not named Kyle Pitts. So uh, we're going to say, and I, I left that kind of open to your interpretation, best pass catcher, Ben, uh, you can kick things off with this one. Dane will go second. I'll wrap it up. Well, it's not going to be too interesting because I had Hunter Long here as well, because this guy only has five drops on 140 targets the last three seasons. This guy catches everything, whether it's behind him, down under his knees, up outside his frame here, 1,300 yards in those three years, only trails Kyle Pitts and Brevin Jordan. This guy is a receiving stud, led his team receiving in two different offenses the last two years. I think that's a great kind of example of what he can do and his versatility as a tight end. But just talking pass catching, five drops, 140 targets. This guy's going to be somebody's quarterback's best friend. I love it. I, and I went kind of a similar, uh, similar route. Uh, and uh, with a guy that I think is being overlooked right now uh, because he's been out of sight, out of mind. And that's Matt Bushman from BYU. Uh, last, uh, over his career, 145 catchable targets, two drops. So this guy's got the vacuum hands, the locked in focus at the catch point where he's going to make plays naturally snatches the ball away from his body. Uh, you know, 2019, he was the only FBS pass catcher, tight ends, wide receivers, running backs, whatever. He was the only FBS pass catcher last year who had 50 plus targets and did not register a drop. So we're just talking pass catching. I think Matt Bushman, uh, you know, it it needs to be in that conversation as one of the best, uh, this tight end class. And just to remind people didn't play this year with an Achilles injury. So while his quarterback, Zach Wilson was you know, having a huge season is now a top five pick. He did it without his stud veteran tight end and Matt Bushman. He's a guy that was formerly on the baseball team at BYU. He's a tall, long, good looking player. Just hasn't been on the field this year. So definitely with Dean, a little bit out of sight, out of mind, but he's a good player. And there's, there's an Eagles connection. He, the, his wife uh, is the daughter of former BYU and Philadelphia Eagles tight end, uh, Chad Lewis. So uh, he was a three-time pro bowler in the NFL. You know, he's getting some good, uh, you know, tight end advice there. There you go. I like that. I actually, uh, I don't, I did not know that one. So that's a, uh, that's a good, good that's why I'm here, friend. That's why you're, that's why you're here. Exactly. Right. <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, for me, I went a little bit different because this guy's analytics aren't going to look great 
And I think part of that is uh, the situation he's kind of coming out of. This is pro Wells from TCU. Uh, we talked all offseason last year about uh, the quarterback situation at TCU uh, when Jalen Rager was coming out. It was not the uh, you know, the best uh, the, you know the best example of efficient quarterback play uh, over the course of pro Wells' career. But I, I think when you look at the way that this kid can go, go up and get the football, he's 6'4", 257 pounds. He's a long strider, graceful, nimble athlete. But I love the way that this kid goes up and attacks the football consistently uh, one through contact, which really, really stood out to me, all areas of the, of the, of the down uh, early mid route. And then at the catch point consistently one through contact attacked the ball really well. He had some focus drops here and there, um, but this guy lined up a lot in the slot. They use him at all three levels. There are some plays in the red zone that are really, really impressive. I wrote down Mo Ali Cox as a comparison. I kind of see him as that kind of a player in terms of the body type and his ability uh, to make plays with the ball in his hands as well. Uh, Pro Wells, a really fun player, underclassman uh, who declared for the draft as a red shirt junior. Let's go to the next one here. Uh, best blocker. Dane, I will let you kick things off. I'll follow up and then uh, Ben will wrap us up. So best blocker, I am going uh, with Tommy Trumbull, uh, Notre Dame. Yep. Uh, physical downhill run blocker. It delivers thump at contact. I, he really looks like a bodyguard out there as a lead blocking fullback. He's got physical hands, aggressive demeanor. Uh, he can you know, J block edge defenders. He can seal outside lanes. Um, he's comfortable as a move blocker. Uh, and he, he's a guy that showed up at, at you know, just didn't have a, a ton of tight end experience, but he, you know, worked his butt off in the weight room, got stronger and it shows, uh, you know, he, the, the passing, uh, stats don't look great. I, this past year, he was I think sixth on the team in receiving, uh, and didn't find the end zone had zero touchdowns. But he's a bulldozer and, and as uh, as a run blocker, he can tie up defenders and pass pro. Uh, this guy, he, he's might even better as a fullback. I don't. I mean, it just yep. depends on teams who want to use him. But you know, wing back, keep him in the backfield. He can you know line up in line. You just use him in different ways. His blocking is going to keep him on the field at the next level. His game against Florida State really stood out to me uh, when I was doing the other Notre Dame offensive line preparing for the Senior Bowl, and I'm like, man, like who is 24? And it was like Tommy Tremble, Tommy Tremble, Tommy Tremble, and then just doing the deep dive. You see that time yeah. and time again. Um, but I agree with what you're saying. Kind of like a certain kind of blocker, not a guy that you're going to say, all right, hand in the dirt, in line, go against the DN snap after snap after snap. I want to use you in a lot of different ways, get you up at the second and third level. I feel like John Bates from Boise maybe gives you a little bit more as a pure inline guy. What I like about both guys though, is that I feel like they've got untapped potential as pass catchers and tremble more. So I feel like when you look at him in the open field, I mean, a long strider uh, who really can attack the football. Uh, I compared him to Dawson Knox. Dan, I think you had the same name uh, written down. Uh, I think that he's got a lot of similarities to Dawson Knox when they were coming out of Ole Miss, but Tremble's really fun. John Bates is interesting. And I feel like people think about him as like this inline slug because we talked about him at the senior bowl and he did a great job as a blocker down there. You see the lack of production. You're like, Oh, he's just an inline guy. This guy was a, a stud track athlete in high school. He was a high school receiver and linebacker. So he's got an athletic background. He made some nice diving catches down there in Mobile. Just wasn't a big part of that offense. But I think there's some untapped potential there. And for a guy that can block and play special teams, he's going to be active on a weekly basis in the NFL. Yeah, that's a great pick there. That's a guy definitely not getting enough love out there in Boise. Late add to the Senior Bowl. But yep. two in two different packages I'll talk okay. about really quick. Kenny Yaboa. Coming down to Ole Miss from Temple is a little bit more of a wing kind of move tight end. Yep. Really good pass protector, a little bit of a lead blocker, a little bit of a perimeter blocker. We saw what he can do in the past game this year. And then the other end of the spectrum, 
How about Dylan Schoner out of Iowa State? This guy's every bit at 280, maybe 275, definitely more of that extra tackle. Lee Smith, you know, not really going to wow you in the pass game, but he is a massive tight end that can get it done in, uh, in line in the trenches. So uh, my next guy, or my next category here is going to be the guy that we're higher on than most. And I kind of, uh, you know, shot my gun a little bit earlier here when I went with Tommy Tremble because Tommy Tremble uh, was going to be my selection here. And he, to me, uh, you just check a lot of boxes when you're talking about this kid. And, and again, uh, I think when from a blocker, you're going to use him a certain way, but he's going to be so effective there. And I, again, untapped potential as a pass catcher. Uh, ben, I'll come to you next. Uh, who's the guy that you feel like you're higher on than most uh, at the tight end position? Well, it's right there, going right back to Kenny Yaboa, who I really liked out at Temple. And then he showed what he can do a little bit more in the pass game at Ole Miss. I mean, put on the Alabama game, some of those yards after yep. catch stuff. A lot of it was, you know, designed off play action, some pop pass stuff, but he's a good two-way tight end because of that. And once he got the ball in the open field, 6'3", 247, 250, he could run really well, catches everything. May not be a, you know, an early down threat, but a guy that can move the chains on third down, be a really good player down in the red zone. I've compared him to like an Irv Smith out of Alabama. Maybe he can even turn into like a Charles Clay. The way he came out of Tulsa and was really a kind of jack of all trades, fullback, H-back in his time with the Bills and the Dolphins. Really athletic piece that I think someone's going to be excited to get probably on early day three. I like that. Uh, Dane, uh, who do you got for us? So I, I think, you know, just for the sake of getting a few, maybe a new name in here, I'm going to yeah. go with my top senior. Uh, and that's Trey McKitty uh, from Georgia, who, you know, 6'4", 250. He's got huge hands, 11-inch hands. It just the production does not look great. Uh, he just, but he was underutilized. I, I mean, talk about guys that have untapped potential. Trent McKitty's that guy. Uh, mm-hmm. They use him as a blocker, as a receiver. He can stay on the field in any down. Uh, good pop, not the the most or you know the best uh, in terms of sustaining, but enough pop where he can help uh, open some run lanes. As a receiver, you know he he's got good body control. He runs well. I, I, there's untapped potential here. Uh, so to me, Trey McKitty is the top senior tight end in this group. All right, guys, let's get to our last category here before we move to the next segment. And that's uh, our player comparison. We're just going to pick a guy that we feel uh, we've got a good comp for and that we feel like uh, sticks pretty well at tight end. Ben, uh, I'll come to you, then Dane. All right, sneaking in two here because that's what I do. Yes. Kylan Granson at SMU, good pass catching tight end. Reminds me a lot of Josiah DeGuara, who the Packers took in the third round. I think he's going to be a much better pro in the run game and move around blocking and then what he can do in the pass game. I've been loving Brevin Jordan the past couple of days, really finished up oh, his report. Don't take mine. Don't take Trying don't to take, figure out. Who are you going to say? Who are you going to say? Does he remind me of? And I have three names written down here. Maybe I'll just propose <laughs> oh these, these three and see if either of them are are who you have. I had a Delaney Walker. Okay. Fred Davis. But the one I love is Rainey McMichael at 6'3", 247, running 4'8". It was a really good blocking tight end, but obviously what he can do in the pass game and his time with the Chargers and the Dolphins, the NFL, it's a little bit of a throwback there. But I think Brevin Jordan's a really intriguing player and a much better player at the point of attack and as a blocker than people give him credit for. Uh, now I got to know what Dane... Who's, well, what do you got, Dane? Yours? What do you got? So... My first thought was Randy McMichael. No, Ooh, yeah, it wasn't. Uh, uh, I actually went with a guy that you mentioned uh, earlier, and that's Irv Smith uh, for Brevin Jordan. Okay. I, I, you know, I, I think when you watch Brevin Jordan, there's a lot of yards after catch. There's, you know, the, you know, Fran, you mentioned earlier the ability to, to impact all three levels, and that's what Irv Smith uh, did at Alabama. Uh, it's what made him a second round pick. 
And so with Brevin Jordan, this is a guy who uh, he led all FBS, uh, all FBS tight ends this past year in yards after the catch. Uh, you know, he, you know, I think 60, I figured it out 63.3%, I believe of his yards, total receiving yards after the catch. And then he's a chain mover. So, uh, you talk about a guy that's a little bit undersized, doesn't necessarily have the ideal frame or body mass for an inline player, but a guy that's very fluid, uh, you know, give effort as a blocker, uh, the athleticism, the ball skills to be that three level passing, uh, pass catching threat. To me, it very similar to Irv Smith, and that's Brevin Jordan. Like it. All right. So I was going to initially go with Hunter Long, and the one that I, that really kind of hit me over the head as I was studying him uh, was uh, Austin Hooper when Hooper was coming out of Stanford. Mm. And uh, Dane, I think that was a name uh, that you had written down as well. Yep. We're kind of seeing exactly. the position very similarly this year. Uh, I want to throw in a couple of guys that we haven't talked about yet that uh, I've got comps for. Um, first one, Ben Mason, who's more fullback, obviously from Michigan, but uh, has got the tight end flex. Patrick Ricard from the Ravens. I feel like that's like a slam dunk comparison. Uh, that's your and- best comp of the season. That's perfect. <laughs> so, all right. So Ben Mason to Patrick Ricard, uh, Tony Poljan, who was a, uh, going to go to the senior bowl was a transfer from central Michigan. Ended up, he played this past year at Virginia. He got hurt during the pre-draft process, had to pull out. That's what allowed John Bates to go down to the senior bowl. Tony Poljan, I'm going to go um, with Jesse James when he was coming out of Penn State. He, they're both kind of like tall, long, play the ball well in the air. Um, you could throw in like a Levine Toilolo as well when he was coming out of Stanford. I think when you look at Tony Poljan, he's just like that tall, long, tight end who can play the ball well in the air, but he's just a little bit stiff. You don't think he's going to be an every down guy, but uh, I think could be a quality backup in the NFL. And Fran, um, that was that was Dane's number 10 tight end back in December 2019. I got that little <laughs> nugget in here. Once Dane puts nice. out his tight end rankings, you know, you got to you got to log those. <laughs> the look on Dane's face was like that he didn't even remember that he had them there uh back at that point. I got all the receipts. You should be worried every <laughs> no, no, every I, time we get on the show. I, I do remember that cuz <laughs> no one was talking about him and I was like, well, I'll throw him out there cuz I, I know scouts were looking at him." So, it was it was actually uh tested a uh, positive COVID uh, test. Oh, really? That, that kept that's him out? Why, yeah, that's what he was not at the senior bowl. Oh, it's a shame. And he was on the freak list over the summer, too. See, Dane gets the buzz going. And next thing you know, he's on the freak list. He's transferring to a Power 5 school. I'm sure Dane's getting 5%, so we'll see. Well, it's like every, everybody in the in the country right now is dealing with snow. It's uh, the snowball effect, and Dane is the one who just gets the <laughs> snowball going. Uh, one last one, guys. Quentin Morris from Bowling Green. He was down at the senior bowl. Ian Thomas uh, would be the, my yeah. cop for him when he was coming out of Indiana. Dane, I think you and I uh, both wrote that name down as well. So we're, uh, we're really are seeing these tight ends the same way yeah and i don't even ian thomas i really liked him out of indiana but now i don't know if that's a positive comp or not with the right. way he's has not developed like we thought he might in carolina sure all right well let's uh let's get to our next segment guys because we, we've got a fun little twist here now it's time to go on the clock on the clock all right, guys. So this week for On the Clock, as we've done over the last couple of weeks, where each each of us are going to play GM, we're going to play matchmaker for three different teams. But we're going to add a new twist this week. And this was a, an idea that Ben brought to the table. And I really like the idea. Basically, here's the plan. Each of us are still going to play general manager for one team. And it's still it was picked by the randomizer. We're going to get one team, one position, one part of the draft. But the other two guys are going to represent the coaches and the scouts in each decision. So 
the general, the, basically how this discussion is going to go is the general manager will say like, all right, here's what I'm looking for at this position at this part of the draft. Then whoever is going to play the role of the scout is going to present, hey, here are some guys that I feel like fit what you're looking for, general manager. The coach will do the same thing based off of, hey, this is what, this is how we play. This is the, this is the position that we are. This is what we look for at a specific position. And then the general manager will take all those names into account and make a pick, maybe based off those names, maybe based off uh, something different. So for the first one, and I said this to you earlier, Dane, you're going to have defensive tackle for the Colts early day three. So this will start with Dane, you saying, all right, I'm, I'm Chris Ballard here. We're going to take a D tackle early day three guys. Here's what I'm looking for. What do you have for me? All right. So I, I I'm playing the Chris Ballard role. Uh, and we need guys that are going to get pressure on the quarterback. Okay. We need guys that, uh, you know, maybe give us a little bit of versatility up front so we can, you know, we, we could do a little bit of even odd fronts just, but m- most of all guys that are going to put pressure on the quarterback, create disruption, uh, the type of uh, defensive line that, uh, you know, the offenses are going to have to really prepare for when they face us. All right, so uh, I'm playing the role of the scout here in this scenario. So I'm going to take a look now uh, at my list, and I say, all right, well, if you had gone run defense, I feel like TJ Slayton from Florida was a guy that's kind of similar to Grover Stewart, can do some similar things. That part of the draft makes sense. But you're looking for more pass rush. And to me, I'm going to look at USC's Marlon Tui Pelotu, and I'm going to say, look, he can give you a little bit of push. He's got that pass rush ability. He's got some position flex. And look, Coach, or look, Chris, this is a, a, a school at USC we have taken more kids of more kids out of USC than almost any other program since you've been the general manager here in Indianapolis. We know what we're getting from this Trojans program. We've got a chance to see him down at the senior bowl. We got a chance to meet with him down there. We have a little bit of an idea of what this kid brings to the table here in you know round four. We'll say, I feel like uh, this makes a lot of sense. So now Ben, as the coaches, he will uh, make his pitch. Well, we're not looking to change our scheme. So we want players that represent our starters in Grover Stewart and DeForest Buckner. They're both tall, they're both long. They both have the ability to two-gap on early downs, hustle really well, but their positional use, they're both three-tech, one-tech versatile. They could go back and forth. And, Fran, we've seen a number of times them going also at double-A gaps yes. where they're going to have two one-techs. So these are guys that have to be able to kind of play up and down inside of the tackles. So I'm looking for guys maybe a little bit longer than TJ Slayton or the USC kid. So I'm looking at, you know, can a – Marvin Wilson at 6'3", 315, be that versatile piece. He hustles really well. I think his best football is ahead of him. Bobby Brown down at Texas A&M, 6'4", a little taller, a little more upright, 325, a little bit bigger than we like. But I think having that taller, longer guy in the trenches there, there's a couple other guys, Naquan Jones at Michigan State, 6'4", 340. Again, a little bit of a heavier profile than we want. So I'm thinking maybe that Marvin Wilson at 6'3", 315 could be the style of player. Interesting. All right, so now uh, the general manager, who is Dane, is going to take – he takes our word uh, into consideration, and maybe he takes one of our players, but maybe he goes uh, with his own selection here. Yeah, I I do like that Marvin Wilson fit. Um, You know, the the USC kid makes sense as well. I I think – I'm going to lean towards a player that uh, I think might fit us when we talk about wanting length. We talk about a guy that maybe has the quickness to give us a little bit of that inside juice. And that's our uh, a guy from uh, UCLA, Diggy Zua, mm-hmm. uh, who maybe could be that uh, interior presence that we need length-wise, quickness-wise. Uh, I think that that's going to be our pick. Uh, Chris Ballard, are we worried that he's going to be off the board before this point? Do we think he's going to fall early day three? 
I, I think so. I think, I, I think, uh, you know, talking to people around the league, get, get a sense he's going to be in that fourth round range. So I think that's right around where uh, we're going to be looking to target him. Love it. All right. So the, the pick there uh, will be Osa Odigizua. I like this. All right. So uh, let's go to our second one here. Now, for this one, Ben, uh, I gave you the, so this is all through the randomizer. You got the New York Giants round two center. So we're going a little bit earlier in the draft. So uh, Ben is going to be the general manager. He will give us what he's looking for at this position. Dane will represent the scouts. I will represent the coaching staff in this one, and then Ben will make the pick. So uh, Ben, kick us off here. So I think we're going to be uh, rolling with the same offensive scheme here in 2021 with Jason Gary's offensive coordinator. We have a new O-line coach in Rob Sale coming over from the University of Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns. Really prolific running offense down there the past couple of years. Put a bunch of guys in the pros like Robert Hunt, Kevin Dotson, a bunch of running backs. But the style of offensive line, this is a vertical displacement type of run game. Almost 55% inside zone duo over the last three years. So what does that mean? Boys, we need some people movers. We need some guys that get people moved off the line of scrimmage. But don't forget, we love the halfback screens too. So we want guys that are good out in space, nasty out in space. But first and foremost, power run game, vertical run game. Find me some people movers at center. All right. So Dane will represent the scouts here in this scenario. Okay. Well, I think when you look at second round range, we're looking at, uh, you know, maybe a guy like Creed Humphrey, uh, who, you know, he does have average athletic traits, but you want a guy with the hand technique, the, you know, the grip strength where he's going to be able to hold his ground versus power, but also get some movement because he can win body position uh, and, and just do a really nice job putting defenders uh, where he wants them to be. So, uh, and this is a guy that has the intangibles. He's making the calls. He's setting protections up there. So he's got the leadership we want culture-wise. Uh, you know, Creed Humphrey should be a name we consider. All right, so I will play the role of uh, Joe Judge and the coaching staff catering to Ben, who's playing the role of Dave Gettleman. Uh, Dave, Look, you mentioned what we're looking for. We're looking for those vertical displacement, uh, vertical displacement offensive linemen. Nick Gates competed well for us this year at center, uh, was solid, but we'd like to see a little bit of an improvement here. And so, look, you know, me, Joe Judge, I worked for Nick Saban from 2009 to 2011. Our running backs coach, Coach uh, Burton Burns, he was there as the running backs coach and assistant head coach for a decade. Rob Sale, uh, who we just hired, you mentioned as the offensive line coach, he worked for Nick Saban. We're going to get really good information during this pre-draft process about Landon Dickerson, who yeah, I know he's got the injury concerns, but coach, like when we line up next Sunday, you know, we need a center and Dickerson is exactly what we're looking for. Not only from a character standpoint, I know he's going to have the medical red flag, but to me, when we're looking for the kind of player that you, that we're outlining here, Dickerson checks the boxes. I don't care if we're taking him around early. I want, because of the medical, I want him on our team. Okay. I like those two arguments there. Kind of, Creed Humphrey, Landon Dickerson, any concern a team maybe will pluck Dickerson in the first round? I know the injury is probably, you know, keeping him out of that round one, but any concern either of these guys would be off the board? Well, we're picking what fairly early in the second round. So I think we have a good shot at both. Uh, But yeah, Dickerson could be off the board there. He's a first round talent. The only reason he'd be available for us would be the medicals. And that's something that we have to make sure we're comfortable with before we draft him. Well, I think you, we still do you think do you think he could fall further than that? Like do you because I mean we're talking it's not just the ACL now. I mean yeah. so many injuries from his days of Florida State. I mean is this a situation where this guy could fall to the middle rounds, late rounds? Like or or is he still kind of feel like all right, he's going to be day two at the very worst? 
I, I, it's hard because when you talk about the medicals, anything's on the table, you no know, it, anything's possible here. Um, I think there's a much better, there's a very high chance he's going to be off the board probably in, in somewhere on day two, but there's no doubt. Some teams will probably say the, the risk is too much and you know, he, he won't be on our board, but some team that's a little more risk adverse. I think they'll, they'll roll the dice. Well, we have Nick Gates under contract for next year, another two years. We also have, uh, the Oregon kid we took in the fifth round, Shane Lemieux. I feel comfortable he could slide in if needed. So I'm going to pull the trigger on a Landon Dickerson. Even if he's not ready to go to start 2021, what you're telling me, I think the upside at this spot is too good to pass up. Mm-hmm. And in my notes here, sneaky good out in space and in the screen yep. game as well. So a mauler out in space, a guy that's going to move people off the line of scrimmage, definitely that tone center inside and out. Don't forget, we're getting Saquon Barkley back. We got to get him going. All right, guys. So for the our third and final one, I got the Super Bowl runner-ups, the Kansas City Chiefs, in round three for a nickel defensive back. So we can take sell this to me uh, as a nickel corner, as a if you want to go big nickel safety, I'll, I'll even allow that as well. But we're looking for a fifth DB in round three for the Kansas City Chiefs, and me as the general manager, uh, as Brett Veach, I'm going to say, look, guys, with this defensive scheme. You know, we're going to play Steve Spagnuolo. We like to blitz a lot. I need our guy to be able to hold up on an island, play man coverage. But since we blitz a lot, I want a guy, if, he, if he's got some playmaking to him as well, uh, I'd like the guy to be able to you know, not only just be a good blitzer, but you know, get the ball for us as well, create some turnovers. Uh, so I, I want some playmaking ability and also the ability to hold up man-to-man uh, from our nickel corner. Uh, ben, you are the scout here in this one. Dane, you are the coach. Ben, we'll, uh, we'll go to you. Yeah, definitely looking for some some uh, players in the similar mold of Rashad Fenton, Lajarius Snead, who played that nickel spot wow. in uh, twenty twenty for us. We also had the Fuller. Uh, was it Kyle Fuller or was it Kendall Fuller out there Kendall for Fuller. the last yep. two years before that? So we need the ball skills. We need speed. You know, there's some guys that I think are more day three guys, Lamont Wade, Shakur Brown, Rashid Wild Goose, a couple of Big Ten nickels there. So more in the round three, day two. Is it an Elijah Molden at a University of Washington, a really feisty nickelback, good ball skills, good in man and zone, feisty uh, coming up and run support and tackling on the perimeter. Javon Holland. I love him out in coverage. Just wondering if he has the temperament to maybe stick his nose in the run and be that blitzer for us. He's a guy with really good ball skills can cover for us. But the guy I'm hoping is sitting there in round three, just afraid he may not be there, is Aaron Robinson at a UCF. Reminds me a lot of Antrell Roll, who's that safety nickel kind of hybrid player, can do it all. Love his temperament in the box. Maybe even a Mark Webb at Georgia if he's not there. So a couple guys, Elijah Molden, Javon Holland, Aaron Robinson, Mark Webb out of Georgia are kind of the four I'm looking at in this spot. Dan, yeah, what do you got for us? That makes sense. And, you know, we, you know, in our scheme, we like to, we like to mix things up, you know, disguise our, our pressures, uh, our, our coverage. And so, you know, we want guys that are versatile. And I think that was one of the first names that I thought of uh, too, was Aaron Robinson because of the inside outside versatility, because he's got a little bit of a playmaker uh, aspect to him with the, with the way he sees the, sees the field and drives on the football. So uh, I think Aaron Robinson makes a lot of sense. The other player who, you know, I, I think in the third round, if we get maybe if a few of our top options are gone, Shakur Brown from Michigan state, hmm. that's a player we should be interested in there. Uh, if an Aaron Robinson isn't there, if a few of our other options is not they're they're gone. Uh, he's one of the most confident players in this class. And we want confident guys out there who could play on an Island who are not going to back down. And he's got a little bit of technique work, but that's all right. Bring him, bring him to me. We'll fix that. 
Uh, I think he's got some playmaker to him. Five interceptions this past year in only seven games. Yeah, we, we can work with that. Hey, Dane, how do you feel about a player maybe like a J.R. Pace at a Northwestern if you've watched him? Where does Sean Wade kind of fit into this? I know it's a lot of Big Ten players here talking Lamont Wade, Kerr Brown, Rashid Wild Goose at Wisconsin, J.R. Pace, Northwestern, Sean Wade, Ohio State. A lot of Big Ten intriguing kind of nickel prospects there. Yeah, and Sean Wade, obviously the most intriguing of the group because there's talent there, but, you know, it's it's hard to look past some of the, the rough tape. And, I, you know, I, I'm not sure that here in the third round that's that's worth it, but uh, I, I just keep coming back to Shakur Brown as a guy that maybe isn't being, uh, you know, talked about enough and at the end of the day could end up going in the, in the top 100 picks. Is it is it a pipe dream for Aaron Robinson in round three? For we're picking, we're picking way at the end of round three, like we're talking earlier. Is, is it a pipe dream at this point? I mean, Fran, at this point, well, you know, we're two weeks into February. We've seen him in the first round now of Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft and Todd McShay's mock draft. Mm-hmm. So the trend and the pipe dream uh, to get him on day two may be over. All right. So if uh, if all arguments are done being made, I think. The Aaron Robinson one, I'm not even going to try and count on him being there uh, for the us late in round three. This guy that I'm going to go with is it's probably even still a little bit rich in terms of like expecting him to be there. But the idea of Elijah Molden for us in the third round, I, I think makes a lot of sense. He'd be a perfect fit for what we're looking for. Really instinctive kid, a good blitzer, good run defender. Uh, he's got that versatility that we value in our secondary. Uh, I'm going to go with Elijah Molden. Uh, I think that was a, a good suggestion uh, from you guys. So what do you guys think? Fun, fun little spin uh, on the segment? A little bit different? Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's uh, There's a lot of things to work through when you talk about scheme fit, culture fit, uh, you know, what exactly each team looks for at each position and how does that match up with the prospects that are available in that draft range. So it, it does make for some interesting conversation. And it's just really tough to kind of forecast how the board is going to fall. Yep, so right. giving a hopper of players that we all feel are in this ballpark are just a really interesting conversation for fans as we see a lot of one and two round mock drafts all over the interwebs these days, just talking potential day three fits for certain teams. Now we're starting to narrow our focus. And I think the draft conversation, the more narrow focus you can get, I think the better the analysis. So these types of drills and exercises while we're working through them, I think they're a lot of fun. Right. I think uh, it's definitely a fun way. Ben, it was a good idea uh, to add that little spin uh, to this segment. Guys, we'll be back uh, later this week to break down some more of this action, but uh, we're going to talk through the Pittsburgh Steelers, a team that we did not pick for uh, in this segment of On the Clock, but Matt Williamson, who does a great job uh, covering this Pittsburgh Steelers team, he's going to share a little bit of insight into their strategy uh, in building teams through the NFL draft. Let's get to that conversation right now in the Blueprint. All 32 teams are always under construction. How are they being built? Let's check out the blueprint. All right, well, excited to welcome in here to the blueprint here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA, a guy I've known for a long time, former NFL scout, former college recruiting guy, a guy that's been around the, the business for a long, long time. You could follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Williamson NFL. That's Matt Williamson. Matt, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, you too, bud. I'm going to say that usually my Steelers set up next to your Eagles at the Combine, and we chat to go back and forth on each other's shows, and breaks my heart. But I know. it's good to talk to you. No question. Uh, we will certainly miss uh, that face-to-face experience this year. But 
uh, we'll try and make the best we can of it. And we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit of Steelers here and I'm excited to kind of welcome you on and, uh, talk about a franchise that you follow very closely. And it's cool because this is one, you know, we talked about the Minnesota Vikings on last week's show with Arif Hassan. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously that's a, a team that's, um, well, you know, well, uh, anchored there with Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman. There's an identity, there's plenty of picks to kind of draw from, and you can start to see some trends. And I think when you look at this Steelers team, it's kind of similar. You know, you've got Kevin Colbert who's been there for forever. You've got Mike Tomlin who's been there for forever. So with that being said, I'd love to just kind of pick your brain on a couple of trends and things that, you know, for people that are building a mock draft and you're picking for the Steelers, some things that you can walk away and say like, all right, I have to keep this in mind when I'm picking for this team. Is there one trend right off the top that you're like, all right, like this is something that you need to take into account when you're picking for the Steelers in your mock draft? I guess there's several. I mean, obviously, if you just go to drafthistory.com, you see, including the use of a first-round pick to acquire Minka Fitzpatrick, they've gone defense in the first round for, what, eight or nine years in a row now. I mean, I think that's time to change, and they've built a very good defense in the meantime. Um, I don't know if that trend will keep up, but that's something that just jumps off the page. I also think they have very good relations, and you mentioned Kevin Colbert. His son is an area scout that handles the back area. So they they spend yep. a lot of time. It's close to here. A lot of Pittsburgh kids play in the MAC. I, I was the director of football ops at Akron as a Pittsburgh guy. So you keep an eye on MAC kids. They tend to know more about them than other teams. And this is kind of odd, but generally speaking, they like younger prospects. Like Juju yep. Smith-Schuster was remarkably young. But last year... They've had a very old draft class, so they've never came out and said this, but I basically know for a fact that was because of the COVID situation. You know, they wanted more tape on these guys. They wanted to know more. Um, they, They wanted guys that they could probably trust right away a little bit more. So that was uncharacteristic for them. Will they stick with that again or not? Probably will, because it worked out quite well, even without having a first round pick. So uh, first of all, can I say that I, I love that you brought up that idea about the the Mac programs because you look at the, some of the guys that they've drafted. Really, I mean, they are a team that trends towards the bigger schools. Like from uh, 2010 to 2019, you know, there were a bunch of those guys were power five schools, but then you look and you're like, all right, there's a handful here and there. I mean, you obviously go back to like Antonio Brown, but even as recently as like a Deontay Johnson, when they go to the smaller levels, it's from guys that are in that footprint. It's like, you know, it's yes, in the Mac, yeah. it's Western PA, it's uh, the Michigan, Ohio, the Ohio. Yeah. It, it's that area of the country. I had no idea that it's that Kevin Colbert's son was in charge of that area. And now all of a sudden, like the lights flashing in my mind, like, yeah, <laughs> right. like that makes, makes, makes perfect sense. Uh, I had not known that before. And like his father, he's pretty good at his job. Right. No yep. question. That's uh, I love that. All right. So uh, the other thing you brought up, I thought was interesting is the, the age aspect of it. And uh, do you anticipate that that would probably be the, the strategy again this year with all the uncertainty uh, that maybe they'll trend a little bit older here for, uh, for this spring? Maybe you know, they also have a little bit, I know we'll get to some team needs and things. Yeah. They need to rely on their rookie class more than they have in the past as well. Mm. So maybe you'll look for guys that have the extra year experience or more tape on. I don't think it was an accident that last year when there was all the COVID issues and challenges of scouting that they went very old by their standards and huh. probably do it again. My hunch is if you're breaking a tie between two centers, 
or whatever, you know, linebackers, whatever, they'll, they'll go to the one that they feel more certain about and are happy hitting singles and doubles as opposed to swinging for the fences on a young guy that's a little riskier. Interesting. I like it. All right. So that's something certainly uh, to keep in mind here for this spring. Uh, you already brought up the, the fact that, you know, you've got that Mac footprint there. Are there any other schools that Kevin Colbert or, uh, you know, Mike Tomlin, his coaching staff, that there are just kind of some special connections to that you feel are just kind of important to take into account when putting together a mock draft? Uh, without question. I mean, I, I mentioned that I was a director of football ops at Akron. The three years before that, I was recruiting assistant at Pitt. And yep. We share the same facility. I mean, we same the same lunchroom. We see the Steelers every day. By the way, it's a pretty good recruiting tool to have the, the sure. Western PA kid to come down and, oh, we stumbled into Steelers practice. There's Ben. You want to sit here and watch practice? Yeah, it's a little side note right. that works in the recruiting world. <laughs> um, so, obviously, Pitt is gigantic. Yep. Um, they have historical – I mean, it goes without saying. I mean, this organization, this coaching staff, the scouting staff, which is especially important this year – hasn't changed in a long time. I mean, Dick LeBeau was an Ohio State legend, you know, Hall of Famer there and had great Ohio State ties. That's kept up. I mean, Paterno and the the Rooney's almost hired Joe Paterno and he turned him down. They hired Chuck Knoll. So like Penn State, they've had tremendous, you know, ties for years and years and years. Here's one that people might not know. And if you look at the Steelers draft last year, they took two kids from Maryland and Matt Canada was on the Maryland staff at one point. Mm -hmm. He's the new offensive coordinator. And here's the good one. Mike Tomlin's son is a Maryland Terrapin right now. Got it. Well, there you go. No question. And see, like I've said this numerous times and our listeners are probably sick of me saying it, but I feel like this year, and you can go back to last year as well, but this yeah. year especially because the entire pre-draft process uh, was, you know, obviously, you know, thrown on his head um, with everything going on with COVID-19. The, those relationships are going to be more important this year, this spring than any other year. And, and so even like, um, you know, for instance, uh, a few weeks ago, I had Clemson's wide receivers coach, uh, Tyler Grisham on the show. Right. And we talked about uh, Amari Rogers and Cornell Powell getting ready for the senior ball. Well, Tyler Grisham was a Pittsburgh Steeler. He made, he played for Mike Tomlin for th- I think three years as an undrafted free agent was on the practice squad, you know, was up on the active roster uh, here and there. Those relationships matter. So now, if the, oh, if yeah. the if the Steelers are are getting ready, you know, if they want more information on Cornell Powell or Marty Rogers, that relationship is there, and you feel like you're getting good information from Tyler Grisham because, hey, look, I played for the guy. You know what I mean? Like, do you feel sure. like those relationships uh, are really going to mean something here this spring more so than any other season? I really harped on it last year, pretty yeah. much right after the combine when we right. found out what COVID really was. And a lot of it is because I do the Steel radio show every day and know those guys like people might be familiar with, with Mark Gorshak, who was the guy that if you're watching the combine, he's the one at the starting line that right. you know tells everyone when to go. And, uh, side note, he was Dan Marino's center in high school here in Pittsburgh, but that's just a side note on Gorse. But he's a known scout. There's not many scouts in the league that people know. Well, the whole staff has been doing it forever, and Kevin's been doing it forever. And I mentioned my career from Pitt to Akron. Then I went to the Browns for a year as a scout, and I quickly realized that the other scouts that I'm sitting there watching tape with had way more connections in every biz- building I went to than I did. You know, they knew what <laughs> <laughs> they knew what lunch lady to talk to, you know, right. the assistant strength coach, you know, and longtime scouts like the Steelers have, to your point, I think is a massive advantage this year when information's hard to find. 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's one one of the things that will certainly come into play uh, when it comes to this spring. Uh, you, you mentioned the the team needs earlier, so I'm interested. I'm going to ask you now. What do you feel are the biggest needs for this Steelers football team when you talk about the NFL draft here in April? They have plenty right now, and they have cap problems, yep. and a quarterback of the future would be wonderful. They're going to be light at tight end. They're going to lose outside linebacker Bud Dupree, and an inside linebacker next to Bush would be nice. But there's three that really stand out to me. And, Fran, if I had to put a chip down and hit the trifecta at the track, I think the first three picks in some order – are going to be an offensive tackle, a center, and a running back. In some in some order. So when you, when you look at uh, the center spot, I think a lot of people see the name in Marquise Pouncey. Uh, is it just that he's just getting a little bit longer in the tooth, a drop off in play? Uh, how, how do you kind of view that as a as a huge need? He's retiring. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure that's official yet, but yeah. I, I, he may have even announced it. There's nobody else on the roster behind them. I, I talked about the Steeler tradition. I mean, I was born in 1973, mm. and I've pretty much seen four centers in my life. Right. <laughs> I mean, Webster to Dawson, but, you know, Hardings to Pouncey, you know. I mean, so it's a position that this this franchise values greatly. Mm. I don't think there's – you know better than me, but I don't think there's a first-round center worth taking, but they'll invest heavily early in the draft for hopefully their next long-term guy there. And then Villanueva is probably not going to be back. Um, Chuk Sikorafor is really the only tackle under contract at the moment. They'll probably bring back Zach Banner, who they liked and got hurt in the first game, but they need a tackle in a big way. Everyone uh, talks about need versus best player available. Uh, how do you look at uh, Kevin Colbert and Mike Tomlin approaching that dynamic? And I guess especially when it applies to this year, but uh, kind of big picture uh, when they you know kind of have those discussions about uh, need versus BPA. Well, it all, and this is, you can say this for just about every building. Coincidentally, the best player available seems to always be at a position of need. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. So, I think it's something to keep an eye on. I don't on. have a lot to add to it. Yep. I mean, I think that this, these guys have been doing it so long that they understand where the weak spots are in the draft and where the strengths are. And, the second, third round is probably good for centers. We're going to get our guy there. And they go in with a very distinct plan. They don't get thrown too many curveballs. And I bet if you gave Kevin Colbert true serum before the draft and said, lay out the positions where you'll pick them, I bet he hits about 80% before hmm. they even pick them. Is there, a, with all this being said now, is there a player or two that you're kind of seeing being mocked to the Steelers uh, that you think make a lot of sense based off of uh, some of the stuff we talked about already? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I think if Derisaw is there at 24, they would run to the podium. I mean, he would be perfect for them. You, again, you're probably more doubting than this than me, but that sounds a little bit of a pipe dream. Um, there do seem to be five, six, seven tackles that are probably going to be in that 23 to 50 range that would all be suitable. It looks like there's four or five centers, probably four that I think are future starters and they almost have to come out of the draft with one of them. Mm. And I have more running back work to do, but I don't think Travis ATN is for the Steelers. I mean, that's just not their style, mm. but I feel like, you know, um, Williams from North Carolina or Najee Harris would be high targets for them too. 
Yeah, the, Nabi, Najee Harris just like has a feel. I mean, even watching him over the uh, over the summer, the name I wrote down was James Conner, and he's I think he's yeah. looked he's looked a little bit better than that this year in terms of uh, just what he was able to do on the big stage. You know, we talked about it last week that uh, you know his his feet looked lighter. He just moved a little bit smoother uh, as a senior this year, but uh, he definitely has that feel. And I feel like the Steelers. They're one of those franchises where you can watch a guy in college and say, like, yeah, he he looks like a Steeler. You feel that sure. watching him on film. Yep. And often if they don't go to Pittsburgh, they end up in Baltimore and you play right. against him twice a year. Right. right. I mean, I, I wish Ozzy and they should do a 30 for 30 on Kevin and Ozzy fishing trip one day, 10 years from now, saying you took him and I knew you were going to take my guy and vice versa. I mean, same type of deal. Sure. Uh, so I guess uh, before we let you go, final uh, parting advice for anyone out there that's making a mock draft and picking for the Steelers, just any kind of parting words there? One thing I think that, because we do a, a mock draft on, on my show every every uh, three days a week right now. It used to be five. <laughs> and we often end up trading down out of 24 just because there's a lot of things they could use that, you know, I don't know that that wouldn't be a terrible move for them to move down a handful of spots, pick up an extra third rounder, turn that into a tight end or a Juju Smith-Schuster third-round pick replacement type guy. Um, I do think it'll be heavy, heavy offense on the first two days of the draft, though. And I have seen some mocks out there, people I love, you know, DJ and Bucky and Melon Todd and all those guys that have put a linebacker into the Steelers in the first round. I just don't afford think they can afford to do that. Interesting. Yeah, I think with, uh, as you mentioned at the very top, I mean, so many years in a row going defense, defense, defense. Uh, obviously, they're hitting on these day three receivers and these mid-round guys, but uh, you'd like to be able to kind of uh, throw a little shot in the arm there for the offense as well. It'll be something interesting to watch for sure. They're going well, to take stuff off Ben's plate without yeah. question. Yeah. No doubt. Well, Matt, this has been awesome. Uh, as always, really appreciate your insight. Thanks for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Absolutely. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. Well, hope you guys enjoyed that conversation there with Matt, who was, uh, who's awesome. He's one of my favorite people uh, to talk ball with and obviously great insight into that Pittsburgh Steelers organization. Let's get into our, a question here in our draft mailbag. We're going to wrap this show up with a question from Jeff5633, who left a five-star review asking a simple question. What are the chances that the Eagles select a quarterback in the first round of the upcoming NFL draft? Well, Jeff, uh, I wish I knew the answer to that question. I don't know the answer to that question. But look, obviously, there's going to be a lot of talk about this quarterback position going in uh, to 2020, or I should say going into 2021. When you look back at last fall, very uneven play from quarterback Carson Wentz. A lot of factors at play there. You only had a three and a half game sample size for Jalen Hurts. So you're still trying to figure out what you've got there. And with the new coaching staff coming in, we know the talent that Carson Wentz is, uh, but the Eagles are going to have some decisions to make here. And I'm very interested to see how this plays out. If they if you know they decide that they do want to select a quarterback in the first round of this draft, obviously we talked about Trevor Lawrence earlier. Very likely that he's going number one overall. After that, where is Zach Wilson? Where is Trey Lance? Where is Justin Fields? You, there are some mock drafts like, like Danes that we covered last week where those quarterbacks go one, two, three, four off the board. There are some where those guys might fall into the early teens. It's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. It, obviously, a lot of teams in the NFL hoping to get their shot at one of these quarterbacks. We'll see how the uh, how the market shakes out here over the next few weeks. But I think ultimately, when you get into April's draft, there are a lot of really intriguing options at the quarterback position. The Eagles currently sit at number six. 
We'll see uh, if they decide to go that route. I don't know the answer to that question. I'm just like you. I'm just sitting out and waiting to watch the show. It's going to be uh, a lot of fun, certainly, to talk about this, and uh, sp- specifically at that position over the coming weeks and months. So, Jeff, really appreciate the question. Uh, hope you got exactly what you were looking for. Uh, we'll be back later this week. I've got a fun episode lined up. We've got Greg Cosell coming this week. Another interview with one of the top prospects in the country. We'll be hitting on that uh, later this week in our unofficial visit. And then Ben and I will be going through another mock draft. So make sure you stay tuned right here on the Journeys to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. In just over three years, Eagles Autism Foundation has raised millions of dollars for autism research and care. But this is about so much more than just fundraising. This is about making a transformational difference in the lives of those affected by autism. This is about bringing our community together. With inclusive, sensory-friendly events and accessible resources, we meet families where they need us most and where we can serve them best. Together, we're united in our mission to improve the lives of the autism community and to turn awareness into action. It's what we focus on every day in every way.